Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be traveling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric. And this week is no different. I think it's episode 62, but your guess is as good as mine. Um, And I'm going to be joined by Katie Skelton, the founder of The Duck Pond, a uh, membership uh, for uh, conscious brands, for brands who are looking to perhaps be more eco-conscious in the way they do business. Some are vegan, some are transitioning towards that, some aren't at all, but are um, certainly uh, of an ethical mindset. So there's all kinds of different folks involved in the the Duck Pond or Little Green Duck Limited, as the, the full company name is. And this is a wonderful idea from Katie. The idea here is that small businesses uh, can share their skill set, uh, build connections, help one another out uh, to become more sustainable, more ethical, uh, more conscious in the way that they do business. Very much what I think all businesses should aspire to. So without further ado, here's a conversation between me and Katie Skelton, the founder of Little Green Duck Limited. Um, so it was my husband, actually. Um, he, how long ago was it? It was November, December 2016 when he kind of sprung it on me that he was thinking of going vegan um he we, our daughter was about 11 months no 13 months old and um he took her to one of those children's farms petting zoo type places where you can go and meet all the animals and um he came home and he was like i saw some lambs i don't think i can eat meat anymore um because he just made the connection between our daughter and these lambs that were obviously not going to be growing up to be fully grown sheep um, so he, yeah, I think what he did to begin with is he told me that he was going to stop eating meat and then he started looking into the dairy industry and the production of eggs and he's quite principled. So I think once he realized that actually those industries are as bad, if not worse than the meat industry, that if he was going to do one, he's going to have to do it all. Um, so by Boxing Day 2016, he was pretty much fully vegan, apart from the odd Cornish pasty that was given to him by accident in a um train station i think there was one they gave him the meat pasty and he ate into it and realized it was meat um but yeah so that's how it started for him and my first thought was i was at home at the time on maternity leave and i thought what the hell am i going to cook for him because he was out of work and i was doing most of the cooking um and that's kind of where the the interest in vegan cooking started for me but i was still kind of I, I wasn't really aware of the the ethical side of things I was interested in the food um and it was and it kind of reignited a bit more of a love of food for me actually because I never used to like handling meat anyway and I started cooking vegan meals at home pretty much immediately because I was quite relieved not to have to touch meat anymore um and then it took me about five months of kind of research and gradually finding things that I liked as a replacement for the things that I previously liked. And by May the following year, I was vegan. So was my husband. Our daughter was vegetarian. Um, And our son, who's now three, um, has been vegan since birth. So that's us. Wow. (laughs) The the first bit I kind of want to 
get into is like so when he came home from this this sort of like animal sanctuary um you know with your daughter did, did were you a bit taken aback by this kind of like statement was there was there signs well he he maintains that he had kind of the odd conversation with me but i think it was so conversational and so unlikely that he would ever stop eating meat because this was like the man who was famous for eating more meat than anybody else ever um i just i don't remember the conversations leading up to it i just remember this conversation when he came home and almost just sprung this new lifestyle choice on me that was um so yeah it was a massive surprise a bit <laughs> and your your first thought you know you meant you mentioned there that you you kind of went straight down the route of like you know what are we going to eat like what's this gonna what's this gonna look like what are we gonna cook um you know was was there an element as a as a parent you know on maternity leave at the time thinking you know are we going to bring up our children vegan like how's that going to work are they going to get the, the nutrients they need you know when you're new to it you know those sorts of things feel really daunting was that a particular feeling that you kind of went through at the time not initially no I think because I knew that I was going to carry on eating meat and I was pregnant again for the second time at this point so I had really bad morning sickness there was absolutely no way that I was going to switch out anything that I was eating because it was just I don't know I just couldn't even think about eating anything but like muffins anyway so um <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it wasn't really a thought at the time. I never really thought... I knew that he would stick to his guns. I knew that this would be... If he was going to do it, then that would be him for life because that's what he's like. Um, but because I didn't see it in my future at that point, it didn't really... I just assumed that the children would just kind of carry on eating, like eat vegan or vegetarian meals at home and then eat meat when we were out, kind of the same as we, I was doing. Um, but obviously that all changed when I looked more into things and became more of aware, aware of everything. Um, and during that process, I looked at all the nutrient needs and everything. So it was quite a detailed, long-winded process for me, whereas, whereas it was pretty much overnight for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I suppose it, I suppose it did because you kind of ultimately came to the conclusion that your kind of your second was going to be you know vegan from from birth but did the i suppose you were you were reassured by what you found out and felt felt comfortable enough to you know i, I suppose challenge all the, the maybe the naysayers that you had in friends and family and so on yeah definitely i think by the point so it wasn't quite i mean i say our, our son was vegan from birth he he was but obviously the first six months of that was just exclusive breastfeeding so it wasn't mm. um that it wasn't really a decision that we had to make on the spot. So I went vegan in May and then he wasn't weaning until the following February. So I had a good long time to really clue myself up on things. And during that time, we were experimenting with a lot of different recipes and different meals. And I was doing loads of research on nutrients and stuff. Um, so it it was a, a, a slow burn. Um, and by the time we got to the point where we were weaning him, it was just... It was a no-brainer, really. We weren't going to do it any other way because why would we choose a way of life that we feel is best for us um, and then choose a different way of life for our children? It's uh, Parenting is all about choosing the best path for them that you you believe in. And it's the same with... I mean, I sometimes compare veganism with religion just because it's it's not so much a belief, I don't think, because it's, I think, a lot more facts-based than religion. Um but 
it's the same as saying, like, okay, you're going to grow up a Christian because that's what we believe in as a family. Um, it's a lot of people have said, well, aren't you pushing your views on your children? But I, my reply to that is, well, you're pushing your views on your children for the first, I don't know, eight, ten years of their life um, and shaping who they are because that's what parents do, if that yeah, makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, it's difficult not to, isn't it? You know, you, your views on um, them not running out into the road and not just eating <laughs> chocolate pudding for dessert uh, for for their main meals and so like you, th- there's <laughs> you, they, you have to you have to impose impose uh, views, don't you? Up until a yeah. certain point, yeah. Um, but so yeah, I mean, it, make, it makes makes perfect sense. But it's often the one that's sort of um thrown at, at vegan parents i think you know uh, you know as, as somebody who's transitioned into into the world of veganism and at the same time you know figured out being a a, a vegan parent did you face a lot of that that sort of skepticism from others and have to kind of you know uh, equip yourself with a set of arguments and you know did you feel sort of an additional pressure as a, as a vegan parent at the beginning yes because i didn't feel completely confident with all of my knowledge and with our decision I guess um, I, I kind of knew deep down from an ethical point of view that it was what we wanted to do but from a nutritional point of view I wanted to be sure that we had every single box ticked and that we were doing everything right um, so right at the beginning I did feel I, I guess I kind of felt a bit um, defensive. I felt a bit defensive yeah, yeah. because when people were challenging what I was doing with my children, I was thinking, oh God, what if they're right? Because I wasn't that confident in my knowledge. But now I know that they're healthy, thriving children and they're not suffering because they're missing out on anything in particular, like, particularly now because the, it's so easy to find anything in, in vegan. Um, so... Yeah, at the beginning, I was. Def- I think I was definitely more up for an argument with people because I felt more like I had to argue. Whereas now, I am so confident in my knowledge that I don't think people even challenge me on it anymore. Um, if that makes sense, um, and that's that sounds a bit defensive anyway. So maybe I am still <laughs> harboring a little bit of underlying defensiveness here. <laughs> I can totally relate to that though, and I think that's really like. Um open and honest assessment actually that I, I don't often hear and I, and I and it really relates you know resonates with me I, I can definitely feel that but that sense of uh as a as a vegan parent that what if they're what if they're right this is the thing that I've been told um since day one this kind of like you know the omnivorous diet is the healthy one you know the, the sort of standard British healthy diet the food pyramid all these kind of things so it it, it totally resonates with me and I think it's quite uh, almost refreshing to to hear because I think a lot of people in the you know when we're in the vegan community for whatever that community is we we you know we want to justify those decisions and we know that ethically it's right so we we don't want there to be any flaws in it in it so I, I think that's a pretty, pretty bold statement actually and I imagine there's a lot of parents who'd relate to it yeah and I think that for a lot of people who are not they haven't kind of identified with the ethical side of it. Um, so people who are still meat eaters or even still vegetarians um, think a lot of the people who haven't who haven't made the connection on the ethical side um, have they they try and pick holes in all of the other bits because it's the bits that they relate to. So the health and the environment and 
um, all of the other things that we we all know are benefits of being vegan. Um, I think that they because they don't want to have the conversation about the ethical side. Maybe they don't they won't want to be challenged about that because they know that that's the one thing that you can't really argue against. It's it's there's no doubt that killing something for food is unnecessary and not very nice. Um, so I find a lot of people do really focus on the other elements because there's a lot more ambiguity around it. Um, so it's it's a lot easier to find an argument there. But I try yeah. not to get into arguments with people about it because it's just a waste of energy. <laughs> how, do you, how do you, you know, you, you've got a, 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 a social media presence, you know, it's really engaging. I, I find it, you know, like your uh, your adventures as uh, when you were traveling with the family and and now with the business you know it's a, it's a really engaging online presence and and uh, you know how do you you know what's your your advice if you like for avoiding those kind of conflicts as a as a passionate uh, vegan online or is, is it something you've just not encountered and 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 don't sort of put yourself in that in that world yeah i think by having this online presence and uh, in, in kind of in two different places now so I've got two accounts that are quite they're different in the the content that I have on them but the the whole ethos behind them is the same obviously because they're both run by me um, I've basically built myself two echo chambers um, and I like to live in them as much as possible because um, that's where I'm comfortable <laughs> obviously I have to have conversations with people outside of that world um, although not that much this year, to be honest, I've basically lived on Instagram and it's been delightful. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I know exactly where you're coming from. You, you can, uh, you can end up in the, in those echo chambers. And, uh, I, I, I do wrestle with the comfort side of it because I sometimes think, you know, am I, am I on some sort of, am I on a mission to, to try and make more people vegan or am I just wanting to make vegans kind of happy with <laughs> their you know with their with the world in which they live in you know th and this is i'm talking the, the podcast mm. necessarily rather than uh rather than kind of your your social media presence which is quite quite different but yeah i do wrestle with that i go back and forth as to how how much of a a conflict should i be in <laughs> if you see what i mean i just i don't think you should be in conflict about anything it's, it's not like you're doing anything evil um it's it's something that you're enjoying doing, you're passionate about, people are enjoying following it, people are enjoying talking to you about it. Um, and you never know who's with the platforms that the podcast's on, you never know where people, who's going to stumble across it. And uh, especially with the name of it, they might think, think it's an anti-vegan podcast and go, oh, I'm getting stuck <laughs> into this and then come out the other side totally vegan. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. That's the, that's exactly. the intention. Do it. Do it if you're listening and you're an anti-vegan. <laughs> do it <laughs> there, there, there's a few knocking around of uh, a few accounts that are, that are looking for vegan accounts to prey on i had a, oh, I did yeah. a podcast on it a while back it was uh quite shocking actually but uh that's for another time a, yeah. again it's such a waste of energy isn't it looking for people to offend it really is it's just, it's a strange thing to but I, but I do sometimes um catch myself in it more so on twitter actually like you, you, when I'm scrolling through Twitter, you just find yourself in like a sort of either doom scrolling or like just getting angry about oh. different tweets and you start thinking, why am I doing this to myself? Oh, I know. I don't use Twitter anymore. I only use Twitter to complain to companies publicly that have wronged me. 
because it's the only way I get a response from some of them. But other than that, I don't touch Twitter because my husband spends quite a lot of time on Twitter and he um, generally spends his days a lot more miserable than me because he's worried about everything that's going on in the world, whereas I'm sheltering myself from it a bit because, um, I, well, I just I can't handle it. It's a pretty angry place, Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I don't know how it's happened. I don't know how they've how it's as a platform has attracted so much anger and negativity, and I don't know what it is about it that I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of Twitter these days. I do wonder how much of it's by design, you know, with social media companies, really? like with the, with the algorithms, if you like, versus the you know they they know what's going to make you click and make you engage and interact and yeah, yeah. I wonder. I, I don't know. It's interesting, but we we could we could get into algorithms, but I wouldn't necessarily understand them. So no, and I'm not <laughs> going to pretend I do either. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, it, 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 just thinking about the the travel stuff, if you don't mind, just get. I, I just uh, just a question on it because I'm just intrigued. That, again, as from a parental perspective, traveling around the world as you did, um, uh, with you know vegan needs and so on trying to feed feed a family that's you know predominantly vegan and and so on how how was that was there particular places that were amazing and others that were was a real challenge for you for you for you guys not really a few people have asked me this question and it's it was we found it pretty easy everywhere because you can get fresh fruit and vegetables and beans and pulses and stuff pretty much anywhere um and we were self-catering most of the time we weren't in hotels and going out to eat a lot because we had two young children our son was under two when we left so um it wasn't difficult at all and we also made sure that we were picking countries that were going to be relatively stress-free to travel through generally um but also from a, a food point of view so the, the whole thing was planned um I wouldn't say meticulously but it was it was planned for, with minimal stress in mind I don't blame you with <laughs> two, two young kids in tow it must have been at times a, a a challenging trip just without the veganism side yeah I think the memory of it is a lot fonder than living in it was sometimes <laughs> It was lovely and it was amazing. And looking back now, especially now we're going through the, oh, this is where we were this time last year on our memories. Um, that's lovely, um, although I'm missing it. Um, but, yeah, it's it was, it was amazing. And we'd do it again in a heartbeat, but it was tough at times. It was really hard at times being all, just the four of us 24-7 for nine months. Um, was It was a test of the old... Um, patience and, and other things <laughs> and for people who haven't sort of you know in, in, followed you on on social media and so on like so it was nine months and how many different countries were you were you in with the family uh, i think it was seven countries we did we did quite long stints in each place um so yeah we went from we went to boston to begin with so we flew from london to boston um, and spent a couple of weeks in Cape Cod just having like a family holiday and settling into the, the new lifestyle. Um, and then we travelled through Canada and then down the west coast of the US and then Costa Rica and Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand, um, then back to Australia for a couple of weeks. And then a, in a weird COVID-related twist, we ended up in Mauritius. <laughs> and then 
<laughs> came back to the UK three months earlier than we planned. Um, but we got a good run. And if we planned to do it this year, it wouldn't have happened. So we feel very lucky. Yeah. Well, I'm intrigued as to uh, the COVID-related twist that's ended that's made you end up in Mauritius. Well, I mean, there's worse places to end up in. We were in Perth in West, Western Australia when COVID really started kicking off. So kind of January, February this year when it started kicking off in Asia. Um, and we had flights to Bali booked. We were supposed to be going to Bali and then traveling through Southeast Asia. Um, and it was a decision whether we just went to Bali and hoped for the best or tried to find some way of getting back into Europe. So we were at least slightly closer to home if things started kicking off in Europe and um, and we wanted to be a bit closer to family in case anything happened or in case we get got locked down on the other side of the world for months on end or anything like that. So um, the, the reason we ended up in Mauritius was I was just basically trying to find the cheapest way of getting to Europe so we could travel overland back to London. Um, and I spent hours and hours looking at Google Flights and finally found a flight to Mauritius, which if you tagged on a flight to Paris, you essentially got the Mauritius to Paris leg free. Um, so we spent three weeks in Mauritius, um, went to Paris, which was quite the change of climate in February um, and then got the Eurostar back into London the week before lockdown. Wow. So it was, yeah, skin of our teeth. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine the, the sense of um, sort of relief almost of being home. Not, I mean, just aside from the COVID thing, but and then maybe this is more me than, than you and I'm a bit of a homebody, but um, I imagine sort of, living out of suitcases and traveling from place to place after a long period of time you know did, did the sort of the gloss wear off after some time it did the planning side of it definitely wore off um it, especially when we first left we'd planned the first two and a half months of travel um day by day and everything was set to down to transport accommodation where we were going to get food for like everything was set out and we knew what we were going to do after that, we were winging it a bit and just seeing where we could get flights and um, seeing seeing where the wind took us. We had the odd milestone or the odd place where we needed to be by a particular point. So we had some places to aim for. But other than that, we were just kind of seeing how things went. So when we were in Costa Rica, we didn't know where we were going to go next. Um, we wanted to go through Guatemala and Belize. And I can't even remember the reason why we didn't in the end. Uh, probably money um cost of getting there i think um so it was that was quite stressful at times i was still working on and off um doing some writing for clients that i had before i left um and just so having like full days of looking after the children and going out on adventures or traveling all day and then thinking okay in two days time we've got nowhere to stay we need to get on this now um and just i just spent my entire life trawling airbnb um <laughs> So by the time we got to Mauritius, we were actually thinking, OK, what we'll do is we'll get back to Paris and then we were going to do like a big train journey all through Europe and go through um, Switzerland, Italy, Austria, through Germany and then back to the UK. Um, but while we were in Mauritius, the whole Covid thing kicked off massively in Italy and um, we just we kind of looked at each other and went, oh, we're done with trying to avoid this thing now. I think we just need to cut our losses and go home yeah fair enough yeah <laughs> I, think I would have done as well 
but it was <laughs> it was nice to get back and especially we moved into the house that we're in now the day after the lockdown started um so it was it was close but it was so nice to just unpack into wardrobes that we knew were going to be our wardrobes for a year at least and not have to repack after four days it was it, that was a really good feeling so the first month of lockdown I was delighted absolutely delighted I was like I don't want to go out I want to just sit on this sofa and watch this Netflix thank you very much yeah, it's quite nice to just be in a house <laughs> exactly. in the same place yep. for a period of time <laughs> yeah I can, I can imagine did the, did the kids acclimatize all right it's nine months is quite a long time in their in their young lives um did they acclimatise to the travelling or to the being or, back? Or to coming back? Um, yeah, they acclimatise to everything quicker than us, to be honest. Um, our son still asks every so often when we're going to the next house um, <laughs> or like where are we going next. But um, no, they just they just take it all in their stride. They're fine. They, um, I think they just, uh, particularly our, our youngest, he's just. I think he just thinks this is what all children do at his age, and it was perfectly normal to disappear and go and sleep in 74 different beds and then come back to a house and not see anyone for six months it's probably uh probably helped with um not having to have him in such a rigid routine i imagine just going through it with my own two-year-old we're we're frightened to have his nap time 10 minutes out <laughs> yeah. alone different beds and airbnbs and so on yeah well that's what we were like with our first we um we were really strict about nap time and everything. We didn't want her to have a nap in the car because she wouldn't have a nap for long enough. And so we'd sing old MacDonald at full volume at her for 20 minutes when we were driving home from our morning activities just so she could have a nap in her cot when she got back. Um, but that all went out the window as soon as we started travelling with the, the youngest. And he, he sleeps like an absolute dream. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Um, and I I swear it's something to do with him just being carted around to all parts of the world and having to learn to sleep anywhere and um yeah so he's a he's a little trooper when it comes to sleeping <laughs> so i recommend it if you um if you have any sleep troubles with your child <laughs> just just take them traveling i do so yeah may, maybe if it was if we can get out of this covid thing at some point we might <laughs> we might take him traveling <laughs> it, so you, obviously back lockdown so on and so forth where, where did the idea for little green duck come from you know what, what was the the seed of uh inspiration for it and then you know how how far has it gone now because you you kind of officially launched and websites and uh it, it's all go so it'd be good to hear a bit about the the story of it yeah it's certainly all go um so little green duck actually started in 2017 so i think it was it was just after my husband husband went vegan and we were actually called what was I called? Bullet point parenting, because I made lists about everything. And I thought that I was going to become like this parenting blogger, like all of the other parenting bloggers that I was following, because that's what I was doing at that point, because I had a small child and another one on the way. So I started up this account that was kind of half parenting and half a, a diary of the vegan food we were eating, just as a reminder to me, so I could go back and do meal plans based on what we'd eaten before. Um, and then that evolved a few months later into little green duck because I decided that I was going to go all in on the vegan food and less on the parenting because I didn't think I was a very interesting parent but I thought my food was quite interesting so um so our daughter who was nearly three at the time named little green duck um I, I couldn't think of a name and I said what should we call it and she said 
little green duck. Uh, and that was that. So it started as an Instagram account that was, was just a food Instagram account. Then it developed into a recipes blog where I was doing um, the odd recipe and some other stuff that I just fancied writing about. Then I was made redundant um, during my second stint of maternity leave. And I started my copywriting business, which I just called Little Green Duck because that was my online presence. And I thought it's useful just to kind of keep things all together. So I started that, started writing for some, um, I used to work in the broadcast industry. So I wrote, I was writing for some old broadcast clients um, and still interested in in the in vegan companies and thought I'd really like to write for some vegan companies and for some and I'm quite into sustainable living and um and the environmental side of veganism was um kind of at the forefront of my mind at that point so um I always had it in my mind where I thought okay I quite like to specialize in writing for ethical or ethically focused com companies at some point but I didn't really know how to go about it went traveling um carried on writing for the broadcast clients and then came back Mauritius keeps coming up but when we were in Mauritius um, I got chatting with somebody who is starting a new app which is an app that helps people live more sustainable lifestyle um, and I'm still not quite sure how he found me um, he thinks it was on LinkedIn but we both can't remember um, but I started working for them the week we came back from um, traveling and I've been working for them ever since. And that cemented my decision to specialize in working with ethical, sustainable vegan companies. It was, the subject matter was so much more interesting than what I was writing about before. It was all the other stuff was very technical. And um, as much as it had been part of my life for 15 years beforehand, it wasn't the technical side of things wasn't something that was really my speciality. So copywriting business ticking over nicely um, and then I just started having earlier this year just started thinking I'm talking to loads of really amazing small businesses so one person two person businesses who can't actually afford to pay for expert support so whether that's expert copywriting support marketing um, financial help so with funding or anything like that so all of all of the different aspects that you need to run a successful business all these businesses really really wanted to grow but they didn't have access to the support and the experts and the budget that they needed to actually grow to the point they want to and make the difference that they want to make with their companies because they're all these awesome companies that are really values based and purpose-led um, so I just started trying to think of ways that I could help them rather than just working one-to-one -one with clients. Um, how could I bring all these people together and give them access to the, the resources they need and the experts that they need to, to grow their businesses? Um, and that's where the idea for the duck, duck Pond came from. So it kind of first started as a series of courses, I think, in my head where I could have guest experts coming in and talking to me on various different subjects and I skirted around the idea of a podcast and lots of different ideas flying through my head 24 hours a day and then finally thought I could do it as a membership bring everybody together they pay a small amount each month and we're essentially crowdfunding expertise and um so I set about building it um 
which I, I think I probably started building it about six weeks ago, so it wasn't actually that long. Um, and we've launched this week. So, yes, really pleased. Um, we've got founding members in and, um, and we're just getting started. So it sounds incredible and so so well needed, you know, especially in this sort of time. I'm intrigued to get your, your view on, you know, post, um, we're not even post, we're kind of still in the throes of the kind of the, the COVID and so on. And, and so many folks, uh, you know, figuring out maybe different paths, maybe, you know, taking stock of their current situation, maybe setting up new ventures and thinking of different ways to go. And that kind of support I can imagine is, is kind of in, in, invaluable. Do you think it's actually kind of worked out in a sort of strange way as a, as a particularly kind of good time to have launched this? Although obviously we wouldn't have planned it. Um, I think it has, yeah. And I think also because everybody is so, this year has been so disconnected from their physical community, so family and friends and the people that they would usually socialise with and speak to and everybody's lives have moved much more online. I think the sense of community that people get from groups like this is a lot stronger than it was before. I mean, maybe I've not been part of groups that have had this really strong sense of community um, but I just, I just feel like people are collect, connecting a lot more on a, a virtual level, and and rather than just thinking, oh, that's just some person from social media. These people are actually becoming friends. They don't have to meet. Like the client that I've worked for for the last um, nine months, I've never met them, and most of their team is completely virtual and dotted all around the world. And we, they're one of the strongest teams I've ever worked with, and um, so. There's definitely a lot to be said for the fact that people have just got more used to working online and used to their their communities being online. Um, so that's definitely been a benefit. Um, and I think people just being able to access the stuff that they need for a lower cost at the moment is obviously going to be welcome as well. As you said, loads of people have lost their jobs this year. And I absolutely did not set out to capitalise on the pandemic, but it has worked out that there's more people there seems to be more people that need this kind of support and need the community and need the connection um so i'm um yeah i'm glad i'm glad it's happened i haven't I obviously would much rather that the pandemic hadn't have happened and that i was still able to to do it but i think you're right i think it has has been a weird benefit of it yeah i, I can imagine like, like you say no, no, no one would ever set out to uh to, to have kind of capitalized from it but with the same token well you'd hope they wouldn't but with the same token like it, i see it more as a support for for folks who are who probably are you know thinking of how do i re re reskill retool or, or maybe start that thing that i've i've always wanted to uh to start and you know where do i go and find those, those skills i'm interested in your perspective do you do you think and i appreciate we're getting the crystal ball out at this point there's you know but do, do you think that kind of there's no going back from that digitization and the the, the connection you know from your experience in the, in the world of business and working with with businesses like you say your previous client and they, they you know they've got a more connected team than ever um you know people perhaps thinking about uh, making themselves kind of galvanized in the event of these kind of things before more agile can you can you see this being, you know, their skills that actually we just stick to and they're kind of new ways of working? I think so, yeah. I think that 
I mean, it would be silly not to really. Everybody's realised that you don't have to travel for two hours up a motorway to have a decent meeting with a client. You don't have to all be sitting in an office day in, day out. I mean, there are benefits of being in a physical space with people and the, the just the the office environment is something that I actually quite miss sometimes and just being in in a room where everybody's bouncing off each other, especially in creative industries, I think is very beneficial. But also, um, I definitely think that if you don't embrace some of the lessons that have come from this year and some of the, the new ways of working, then it's a bit of a missed opportunity, really, because there are huge benefits to it. There's, there could be huge environmental benefits. There could be mental health benefits for people who previously didn't get the chance to, um, for instance, when I was commuting into London every day, um, I never would have had the chance to go out for a three-mile walk in the morning, whereas now my husband will go and drop off the children at school, um, which is another thing he wouldn't have been able to do if we were in our old lives. He would have been off at work in central London um, and I would have been kind of in charge of the whole childcare routine because that was the way we were set up at the time. Um, so I think that just the fact that I'm able to get up in the morning and go out for a walk and then settle into work by nine o'clock um, has had massive benefits for me and there must be other people out there who've benefited in that way um, and I'm sure there's loads of benefits I'm not even aware of you know thinking about the the little green duck and the the kind of the the pond if you like of of, of talent and and resource and and so on that you've that you're starting to build is there a is there a kind of a uh, some particular themes, trends that you're seeing amongst in in the sort of ethical businesses that they either, you know, desperately need more of, you know, more people that you'd like to see perhaps join that community and support, uh, and 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 vice versa. You know, is there is there a kind of a, a really strong skill set in a particular area? Um, I think it's really, I'm really lucky in that the community that is building so far is a really really diverse community. We've got. Um, two sets of people who are in the middle of developing apps. We've got people who are um, making children's clothing, people, someone who runs a cleaning company, um, there's, and, and then service-based companies, uh, businesses as well. So somebody who's a virtual assistant who um, specialises in working with ethical companies and a marketing agency. And so the I don't see a real... I don't see a real thread, a common thread of skill that's going through most of them, but I can really see how some people will benefit from the skills of other, the skills and the knowledge of other people and vice versa. And I can see the potential for collaboration already. Um, and I'm really excited about that. That's, it's the side of things that I'm most excited about, actually, the fact that these people are making connections and have the potential to work together outside of the group I, I don't particularly want everything that happens every benefit of the duck pond to be within the duck pond I want them to kind of go out and form their own relationships and build their own partnerships and um, and the more they do that the more successful they'll be and the more that they can make a difference 100% I'm sure I'm sure they will and you, like you say once they build those links and almost like having having you there and each other there, I suppose, to help 
see what those skills are and how applicable they are to their businesses. Because I imagine with such a diverse set of of businesses and organisations within the within the duck pond, there's probably a a potential for them to 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 not see it necessarily. You know that where the transferable skills are. So I guess the the more sort of group think, if you like, and the the, the more you're involved as a, as a catalyst, I imagine they're you know that that's going to help bring it together and help people see what those transferable skills are yeah absolutely and what we're doing at the moment is just going through we're just getting to know each other really and going through a series of exercises that identifies all the areas where people feel they are most strong and also all the places where people are struggling or they feel like they need the most help and that will help um not only help me shape the content within the group because it was never my intention to just throw loads of content at people. I want it. I want to find out what people's problems and challenges are and then go out and source the information they need and deliver it to them in the group so they don't have to go out and look for it. Um, So that's really useful. But also just getting to know where people think their strengths and weaknesses lie means that you could potentially like pair people up where... Um, they always say you should work with people who are good at the things you're bad at. So just finding people who have the strengths where your weaknesses are and link them up and say, oh, I think this person might be able to help you with that, but you might be able to help. It's like it's almost like drawing a web between everybody and seeing where they could all work together. Um, and that's becoming clear in my mind at the moment. Um, and I'm sure it's going to become clearer to them as I kind of say, oh, actually, you know, you said that. How about talk to this person? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I definitely think it's, there'll, there'll be, a, especially in those initial stages, like almost you, you, do, you don't know what you don't know and necessarily sometimes can't see those connections yourself. So having just each other in that in that community to be able to sort of say, yeah, that skill is is totally what you need in your business. I imagine is uh, is going to be invaluable. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, definitely. And everyone's also really up for helping each other as well. They're not they're not in it just to come and grow their own businesses. They really want to be each other's cheerleaders. And I can see friendships forming already. And some people already know each other from social media, and they've kind of come together in the group. So that's quite nice to see as well. So um, yeah, the the bonds and the the rapport that's building up is really good already appreciate it's super early days but you know if you if you fast forward you know imagine you you've had these thoughts when building the original vision if if you've had probably time to to do this because i imagine it's been all go but you know where, where do you where do you kind of see it going and would like to see it kind of going um i just want to see it i want to see it grow but not too quickly because i've worked in a lot of businesses that have outgrown their own capabilities quite quickly so in I've worked for very small businesses that have been bought out by very big businesses and kind of sucked into the the politics and the corporate world of the business that's bought them Um, not that I think that the duck pond's going to be bought but just as an example of company going from kind of very very small to very big um, too quickly so I'd like it to grow steadily because I think the more people that are involved the more opportunity there is for collaboration the more income I have coming into the business, the more experienced experts I can source and the more relevant content I can deliver into the group. So actually, as much as I'd like to grow it for financial reasons, from my point of view, it also helps everybody, the more people that are in there. Um, So I don't have a clear number for where I'd like to get to in terms of members. 
Um, but I just like to see more people coming in and more people benefiting from it as we go forward. So, yeah, just steady growth, really. 100% sure they, they will. I mean, it's, it's, it's already you can see the, a, going to be a burgeoning kind of community and, and, and with such a you know, purpose, purpose-driven kind of intention to it, I think it's, you know, very much not only kind of what we what most businesses probably uh, probably want, but certainly what they need is as well at this particular moment, and and it's only going to grow that that kind of you know businesses realizing that this is this is really the only way to to carry on. You know the 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 world's not you know going to sustain uh, our previous models really, and so you know ethical business is the only way to to really travel from here on in. Yeah, totally, and that's what I keep. I do still work for some broadcast clients now and again, and when we have conversations about the kind of my other world, um, the one thing that I keep saying to them is in five, ten years' time, they're not even going to be called sustainable businesses anymore because if you're not a sustainable business, you're just going to get left behind. Um, so I think the advantages of founding a business with such a strong sense of purpose is massive now because you don't have to go back and dig into how to make yourself more sustainable. You're already, you're starting on the best foot and it's, it, as you say, it's going to be the only way forward, I think. Do you, do you see, I'm just intrigued as to your, this is a very broader question and not necessarily directly related to, to little green duck, but I'm, I'm, but definitely some parallels, and, I, and I'm just intrigued as to your your viewpoint. That there's so many you know, big companies out there, particularly kind of food businesses, clothing businesses, so on, high street names, uh, online uh, brands, etc., who are uh, looking to kind of monetize uh, veganism. Perhaps even you could be accused of kind of a, a greenwashing, if you like. I'm thinking of. Uh, high street fashion brands where they're selling a fast fashion product but they're labeling it as vegan it was always made of plastic but they've decided if we put vegan on it then it will it will sell more do you think that there is a uh i, I suppose people are gonna are seeing through that you know there is a trend towards shopping smaller more local wanting to 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 invest in businesses within communities do you see that that trend kind of continuing or do you think there is a danger that people get sort of dragged along with uh, sort of the big marketing of big companies and so on? I think it could go either way, really. I think that for some people, um, the natural path with veganism is, I mean, usually the food comes first with people and then you start looking into all the other things, cosmetics and um, personal care and, um, and clothing. And I think that I don't I'm, I, I kind of swing quite wildly between being angry with companies for jumping on the bandwagon to thinking, well, actually, if a high street retail brand is starting to label things vegan, then if that leads to a few people thinking a bit more about what they're purchasing and how they're purchasing. And I think also the once you once you go vegan then the the sustainability side of things comes into your mind so therefore you become more aware of when companies are doing this for marketing reasons rather than for genuine reasons um 
although what is a genuine reason i mean any any mention in the mainstream of the word vegan is perhaps a benefit because if it sets one person into a kind of a google rabbit hole of what's veganism all about then maybe actually they're kind of helping to convert it's almost like the piers morgan thing he gets really angry with vegans but actually he's probably our biggest advertiser because he just shouts about it all the time so um yeah as you could tell i'm quite conflicted i i obviously do not agree with the principles of fast fashion and the ethics behind it from a human point of view um but i kind of feel like the more mainstream veganism goes the more accessible it is to the masses and therefore the more likely a kind of a mass movement and a mass change is to happen. Um, it's kind of like the food companies as well, introduce, like Richmond introducing the vegan sausages. Um, you just, you, you think, well, yeah, they're just doing that because they're going to make some money out of it because people aren't buying meat sausages as much, so they've got to make a vegan sausage. But if that means that somebody who has never, ever even thought about stopping eating meat, thinks, oh, I wonder what those are like, because they're right next to the meat sausages. I'll give them a go and end up swapping their sausages for life. Um, now that was quite a good quote, wasn't it? <laughs> Swap your sausages for life. Um, Contract then, with Richmond is income. Yes, yeah, it. exactly. Um, then then maybe it's a benefit. It's it's a really difficult one. It's It's such a complex issue, I think. It really is. Uh, do, do you do you think the the bar's high enough for the for the word vegan? In in in, in I'm talking in products and advertising. You know that that perhaps that it's it's all too easy almost to to use the word, or or do you, or like you said, do you do you think actually it's probably you know the the bar should be as low as it is because that helps uh, the the name get out there and the and the you know potential for research and so on. Yeah, I I do think that it's it makes it more mainstream um but i also do think that then that can it could give people a kind of a false sense that they are doing good when they're not actually doing good um so buying as as you mentioned fast fashion something that was already made of plastic labeled with a vegan label does somebody buying that over just doing the research and making the a conscious effort to buy something that is truly sustainable and also vegan um, or secondhand, um, then maybe it's counterproductive because people feel like they're doing their bit when they're not. Um, it's almost like recycling. Everybody thinks that if you are amazing at recycling, then you're doing your bit and you don't really need to do anything else. And actually, I was the same. I, I'm vegan. I travelled around the world and took 12 flights and thought that being vegan would kind of pay for that from an environmental point of view. I now realise that that's not the case. Um, and I was a bit a bit blind to that. So I was kind of thinking, well, I'm vegan. I'm, I'm kind of doing better than anyone ever could do because it's the single biggest change you can make to help the environment. But um, that's not the case. And I wrote quite a, um, a heartfelt blog post on, about, on it um, when I got back because... It was kind of my realisation that I'd probably done more harm than good by travelling, although I do hope that it's raised our children's awareness of the, the planet and having to look after it, um, and hopefully that will be a benefit in future. But, um, yeah, that was a, a long-winded way of 
saying I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel the same. It's um, it is it is really challenging. You know, is it we we use the word vegan we hear all the stats you know it saves x amount of carbon and so on and so forth and i think there is a bit of a danger of almost like the you know feeling like well the the, the job's done almost you know i'm doing i'm doing the most i can do yeah um and uh and i think companies cash in on that you know they i think they understand that idea that the big the big businesses anyway they understand that idea that we that when we hear oh it's vegan that oh, okay cool I can forget about everything else that's potentially wrong with it, whether it be, you know, a human labor issue, you know, where it was produced, the political situation in that particular country or the so on and so forth. But it, but then it, the reality of like, we live in a society, it's very difficult to unpick every single thing that you do. So, you know, I always, I always think it's very difficult to throw stones uh, you know, because we're all in glass houses in the in the community in which we live. Yeah. You know, yeah, we totally are, and nobody is ever going to do this thing perfectly. Nobody's, um, there is no perfect way of living in the way we're living at the moment. It's um, it's, and I firmly believe that everybody doing one little thing is better than a few people. It's that classic that classic quote, isn't it? Um, but if everybody is making an effort to make some changes in their life, then that's going to make an impact regardless of what those changes are. And I, and I think, you know, with the, with the work you're doing through little green, um, uh, uh, duck and really, you know, creating this community of businesses supporting one another with an ethical mindset, often going to be, you know, those, those smaller businesses starting out, um, who really do have a, a genuine impact on the communities in which they serve, I, I, you know, I do think you are, you know, hundred percent. You, for what it's worth, I think you, you're, you're definitely making your your impact on it, on the world positively. So, huge thank you for that. Oh, I hope so. Thank you very much. It, just, just finally, it'd be obviously remiss of us not to not to tell folks whereabouts they could go finding out a little bit more about Little Green Duck, how they could potentially uh, join the pond themselves. Um, where could they go? Okay, so probably the best place to find me is Instagram. Um, that's where I am most of the time. Um, if you're interested in the vegan food side of things, then I'm just Little Green Duck. Or if you are interested in the membership and the business side of things, which is um, where I post about all of that stuff, um, that's Little Green Duck Pond. Um, so Little Green Duck, Little Green Duck Pond. Quite easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well katie it's been it's been amazing uh grabbing some of your time and particularly as you i know you're super super busy with um not only family life but setting up this incredible new business so i really appreciate it thank you so thank much. thank you it's been a pleasure so as as promised uh, a second week in a row we're gonna have a, a another sort of exclusive track from vegan queen v um and uh i'm lucky enough to be joined by vegan queen v who's gonna tell us a little bit about this track yeah, so um, this track is a classic Christmas song, uh, and one that I have sung probably at least a hundred times, if not more. Um, but I decided to put a vegan twist on it. So this song is Have Yourself a Merry Vegan Christmas. Have yourself a Merry Vegan 
yourself a very vegan Christmas make the food plant-based from now on the animals will all be safe here we are in the modern days welcome Passion flakes apart. Furry friends who are dear to us hold a special place in our hearts. Through the years, we'll feed ourselves on veggies. 